If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. We'll be there in a moment. But I want to begin this morning by asking you some questions. And I want you to answer them. It's, 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 it's a, a multiple choice question. Uh, there's two possible answers, and we're going to show you both answers, and then we're just going to take a test and see which, which answers different ones of you, you know, think are the correct answer, and then we'll just go from there. So here's the, the first question. Are you ready? The first question, according to Jesus Christ, will there be more people in heaven or in hell? All right. How many of you think, according to Jesus, there will be more people in heaven? Raise your hand and wave at me. How many think there will be more people in hell? How many are afraid to answer because you don't want to be wrong? All right. Look at the next slide, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are how many? Many who enter it who go that way. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are how many who find it? I want to contend, and there's a verse in Isaiah that says, Hell hath enlarged her mouth without measure. That uh, the idea that many of us have that, well, most people are going to make it to heaven anyway is a false idea. And that there's a lot of people we know and care about we think are going to be in heaven who are actually going to be in hell. And we need to listen to the words of Christ. Here's the second question. Is there more excitement in heaven when someone gets saved or when a church has a big crowd like this one? How many think it's A? Yeah, you know that one. You're, you're exactly right. Listen to what Jesus said. Look at this, this verse in Luke 15. Next slide. There we go. It says, there will, be one, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And that verse is said more than once in Luke 15. And Jesus says it as he's telling those three parables about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son and the owner went out and searched for them, leaving the others that were already safe behind. That, that God, he loves us and he cares for us, but he's going to go out there in this messy, hurting, bad world looking for those who need salvation, who need forgiveness. I learned a long time ago that if I was discouraged in my Christian life, the thing that would help me find joy and be excited more than anything else, it wasn't a prayer retreat, it wasn't Bible reading, it wasn't a worship service as wonderful, beautiful as all those are. The thing that gave me more joy when I was discouraged and lifted my spirits more when I was down was to talk to somebody about Jesus. And when you, listen, when, when, you, when you see someone come to faith in Christ, you will have joy in your life. And the reason so many Christians go through the Christian life without a lot of excitement, enthusiasm, or joy is because they don't tell people about Jesus Christ. And the more you talk about Him, the more He fills you with His joy. There's joy in heaven, and there will also be joy in your heart and life as well. All right, here's another question. There's not really a Bible verse to answer this one, uh, but there is an answer to it. Which do you think Jesus spoke about more often, heaven or hell? How many think he spoke more about heaven? Well, you're already seeing a trend develop, aren't you? A few years ago, I sat down and read the four Gospels multiple times, noting every passage where Jesus spoke about the afterlife. And when I added all of that up, 
it was very clear. Jesus said more about hell than he did heaven. Now, he talked a lot about heaven, but he talked even more about hell. Think about that. The per and in fact, not only did he talk more about hell than he did heaven, Jesus said more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And so when some people want to say, well, hell is not real and it's just some, you know, you know, the Old Testament thing or this or that. No, Jesus said more about it than everyone else in Scripture. And therefore, we have to take it seriously that being saved and lost are real and they matter and that heaven and hell are real and they're the destinies of people. And so we need to think about that. And, and here's, here's the last question. Do you think Jesus cares about lost people? Does he? You, do you think Jesus cares about a lost people? What, what was the reason for Jesus dying on the cross? By the way, when he did that, you were lost. Jesus cares about lost people. So here's a follow-up question. Do we? Does this church, does your Sunday school class, does your group genuinely care about lost people? And then a, a third question, do you? Do I? Individually, do we care about lost people? Father, I pray today the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the world as you see it and that you open our heart to love the world, the people in it, the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is becoming more and more popular. Crowds are gathering to hear him. News is spreading. Every time he encounters someone and their lives are changed, they go out and talk about him and tell other people. And we, we, we pick the story up in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35, as these crowds are, are either coming to Jesus or when he goes into a new town or a village, words already reach them that, about Jesus and they're eager to hear him. And so notice what he says in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Stand with me, please, in honor of God's word as we read these, uh, these four verses. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. The Bible says Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. Now notice, he was going. The last, what was the last thing Jesus said to his followers before he left this earth and returned to the Father in heaven? Go. Go told us to do exactly what he did. Jesus here is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? What? The gospel. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news of salvation in Christ. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He was caring for the needs of people as well. In verse 36, seeing the people, the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Thank you. You can be seated. I just want to make a few comments about uh, this verse and then share some, share some stories with you. Over the years when I've read this, the thing that really grabs me is how it says Jesus felt compassion for them. And that's a, that's a very strong word in the, in the original language of the New Testament. Uh, and it's used a, a few different times in Jesus' life. 
Yesterday I spoke at a graveside funeral and, and read a passage in John's gospel that has this same word in it. And, and it says Jesus, Jesus was moved. He groaned. It's the idea that, that as he saw the family grieving over the death of their brother, uh, Lazarus who had died, that, that Jesus' guts just were intense with emotion. That's the word here. That when, when Jesus looked out at the crowd of, of people who were lost, it grabbed him physically on the inside. It touched him. It tugged at him. And, and he was moved with compassion. I remember years ago when I, when I was a senior in high school, we were on our senior trip to New York City. And we left to come home late at night. And I can still remember sitting on that charter bus looking out the window it was just black everywhere and as we were leaving you could see all of these these lights you know, all of these skyscrapers all of these buildings in in the city and and through all of them you saw all these lights and I, and for some reason it was like the holy spirit just spoke to me and said behind all of those lights all of those windows are people and it was, it was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of windows and lights. And I was overwhelmed with a sense of the, of the magnitude of the lostness of, of humanity. I've never forgotten that image, that feeling. And Jesus looks out at the crowd and, and, it, and it grips him in here. And when we are leaving our neighborhoods on Sunday morning and we see people cutting their grass rather than getting in their car to come to church, do we complain and fuss and say, would you look at that? Or are we burdened and torn apart because they're lost and they need Christ? What does it do to us? When we, we see people on television and we see people at work and people at school and, and they're living in such a way that they're making a mess of life. Do we just frown at them and, and say, how, what's wrong? Or, or is there something in us that says they need Christ and we're burdened for them and we're going to love them and we're going to pray for them and we're going to share with them? What do you feel when you see lost people? The Bible says that Jesus felt compassion. Why? He says because, notice in verse 30, 30, uh, 36, that they were distressed. It means to, to be weighed down on. It's, it's, it's like they were being pushed down on by the weight of life, the, the burdens of life, the problems of life. And they were dispirited. Literally means to be exposed to danger. They're exposed to all the false philosophies of our culture that give people false hope and in the end really don't have an answer. All these false philosophies that, that bring delusion upon people so they die and spend eternity without Christ. All the lies that people hear and are reinforced in our culture and they believe it. They're exposed to the danger of, a, of lifestyles that harm themselves physically and that, that harm their families. You just, you just look at the way our inner cities are crumbling as families don't know how to be families anymore. And Jesus saw all of that. And he was moved with compassion because he said they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep need a shepherd to protect them and to guide them to pasture and to water. People need a shepherd. It's Jesus. Have you ever thought that the only reason your life is the way it is is because you have a shepherd? 
That without Jesus being your shepherd, your situation might be radically different than it is? Without you perhaps having been raised in a family that loved Jesus, your situation would have been different? But it all begins with, I think, maybe the most important part of verse 36. The very first phrase is in that verse, first words. Seeing the people. Jesus saw them. You see, it's so easy for us to rush through life. We're all, we're all busy. We have all these demands and all this pressure, right? We just rush through life. And sometimes we don't see our neighbors. We don't, we don't see co-workers who are lost. We, we rush through school class to class, and we don't see our friends who don't know Jesus. We don't see them. We just rush. We don't see them. Jesus saw them. And do you know why he saw them? It's because he was looking for them. In Luke 19, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I'm looking for them. I'm seeking them out. My eyes are looking at the horizon and I'm trying to see people. I'm seeking them. There's an intentionality to it. And that's the key. Now look at verse 37. After being touched, moved with compassion, he told his disciples, I need you to do something. In verse 37, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray for more workers. Do you know what Jesus is telling us there? Now listen very carefully, church. Jesus is telling us there are more people who are ready to be saved than there are Christians who are willing to witness. Now, did you hear what I just said? So everybody, shh, shh, shh. Listen to this real carefully. Listen, shh, shh. There are more people ready to be saved than Christians willing to share the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. That's not the problem. We, we, we look at the world and shake our heads and talk about how horrible it is. Jesus said there's a big harvest. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is the workers. We're not going out into the field. We're not inviting people to church. We're not praying for people who are lost. We're not sharing our testimony. We're not intentionally serving people at a point of need and we're not taking the scripture the bible and sharing with them the plan of salvation how they can have a relationship with with jesus he said the harvest is plentiful it's the workers that we need more of and so he said in verse 38 what i want you to do is i want you to pray that more workers will go out into the harvest. I want you to pray that we will start caring. I want you to pray that we'll start having some compassion. I want you to pray that we'll become intentional. Pray that we will begin seeking. Pray that we will begin talking and serving the lost. Pray that we get busy because there's a harvest out there that we're letting go to rot. So pray that we begin to care more. I mentioned that yesterday I conducted a graveside funeral for James, who was in his 80s. First time I met James was in early February this year. Brother Richard Williams, 
in our church brought them to my office to talk with me. In December, the Holy Spirit began working in Richard because he and James had been friends for years, and the Holy Spirit was just prompting Richard to go and talk to James about Jesus. I mean, he's an old man. He needs Jesus. He's a friend. And so Richard drives over to his house, and if I remember the story correctly, when he got there, James' truck was not in the driveway, so Richard turned around and went back home. But God wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> he just kept prompting, go back, go back, go back. So Richard went out and got in his truck and he drove back to James' house. And this time he was home. Went inside and they talked. And Richard led him to Jesus. So he brings him by my office and I talked to him about his relationship with Christ. And when we had that baptism service in here in, in, in the last Sunday of, of February, uh, I had the, the privilege of baptizing this 80-some-year-old new Christian. And then yesterday, I stood at his grave and preached his funeral. What Jesus wants is for you and me to be sensitive in our heart and soul to when he's prompting us to care about somebody, talk to somebody, pray for somebody. Now, I'm going to be honest. There are times he's prompting me. I know he's prompting me, and I've disobeyed him. Anybody else in here ever done that? But he wants us to start caring and listening. Caring enough to to get out of our comfort zone. See, as long as we always stay where we're comfortable, we're going to miss out on the great things that God wants to do. Sometimes God just wants to interrupt us. But it's always for our good and for the benefit of others. Jesus in Matthew 20 said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for me. Let me ask you, when Jesus gave his life on the cross for us, was he getting out of his comfort zone? Hmm? What's our excuse for never getting out of our comfort zone? What's our reason for, it's always got to be easy. It's always got to be simple. I, I don't have to sacrifice. I don't have to make, make, make sacrifices. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to give up anything. Where, where do we get it? That following Christ means we never have to get out of our comfort zone. Because sometimes the greatest growth comes when we're out of our comfort zone. And so, for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on what, uh, what we're calling oikos evangelism. For about three years, God's been working in my life and heart to write an evangelism plan for us to help all of us learn more effectively how to share the story of Jesus with people who are lost. And I've been piloting this with a small group on Wednesday nights back in the fall and this spring. And, and um, I'll just be honest with you, the next three Sundays, you're going to be studying Oikos evangelism in Sunday school. And then there will be a workshop the first Sunday evening in October because we can't cover it all in those three Sundays. This is actually written as a nine-week class. And, and I got to, I'll, be, I'll just be totally candid with you. I didn't think I could get all of you to go through a nine-week class on Wednesday night or sometime. <laughs> so I thought, and that's not a criticism. We're, I, I, it's just life. I get that. So I thought, how do, how do we get the masses of you trained more than we already are in doing evangelism and sharing the story of Christ? Well, why not do it in Sunday school? 
So we're taking three Sundays to focus on Oikos evangelism, and then we'll have a three-hour workshop on Sunday night, October 2nd, from 4 to 7 o'clock here in this room. And I want to encourage you to participate in it. And um, there's going to be a lot of discussion and sharing in your class. In fact, uh, one class, Gene Williams' class, started it this morning. They met at uh, 9 o'clock, I guess, for Sunday school and had about 60. And they uh, they did the first lesson. I've already had two or three of them come up to me and talk about what God did. They ended up having eight people share their testimony this morning out of the lesson. They just had a great time. And I promise you God's going to teach you and show you some things. And when I was piloting this, I just had a small, small group working with me. And one of those, some of you heard her at our leadership rally. Uh, Sarah Davis, who's you know in her mid twenties, she's a new Christian, baptized her in February, and um, she's got this bubbly, outgoing personality. And I asked Sarah what how how Oikos evangelism impacted her, and, and what she said was, as a new Christian, she thought before she could really witness to her friends, she had to be perfect. That was just her conception, you know, because they wouldn't listen to her if she wasn't perfect. And she learned through this, she doesn't have to be perfect. What she needs to be is real. And it's okay for her family and friends to know that she loves Jesus and Jesus loves her. She's genuine. She's authentic. And they'll listen to her because she's not faking anything. It's because she's real in her relationship with Christ. Because what we focus on in Oikos evangelism is you becoming comfortable knowing how to tell the story of Christ and his work in your life with people you already know. Not total strangers, but the people you already know. And I'm, I'm going to take a couple of minutes here and talk with Lynn Tompkins. So, Lynn, if you'll come on down. Lynn's a, a relatively new believer. Brother David baptized her, I guess, last fall. Right? All right. Come on over here, Lynn. Lynn, um, and, and one of the great things about this class was we had people who, uh, some have been Christians a long time, some who have only been Christians a, a, a brief period of time. And Lynn was in my Oikos class. And in Oikos, we talk about be, do, and tell, that you have to be real and be a person who grows. And you have to do things, you know, serve people, pray for them, and et cetera, and tell them about Christ. And, and uh, where God worked in her life was in the be and do in particular that led to some telling with her brother. And why don't you just share with everybody about the dynamics of your family situation? When I started the Oikos evangelism, I felt God was tugging at me because um, I have a brother in Texas and hadn't had any contact with him in probably over 15 years. I didn't want any contact with him. And I felt it, God didn't really tug at me until I came here and started the class. And I thought, he's tugging at my heart. And the B is um, to grow spiritually. Spiritually growing. Yeah. And I thought, can I really keep growing if I didn't um, deal with that mm. with my brother? And so I kind of got the B part. And then the do was um, that you prayed and you connect and you invite. And um, there's one more. But That's all right. Anyway, um, so he connected with me on Facebook. And I accepted the friend request. And it was kind of odd. But um, I could tell that he was trying. And he did apologize for... Um, everything that he had done in the past and um because it was not good but anyway so I thought he's really reaching out and in order for me to show my witness I needed to accept that and move forward with it and so I would text or he would text me and he would call and we would do Facebook and I thought well that's easy from a distance especially to Texas but when you're with the person on a daily basis I didn't know and so in January, our aunt passed away, and um, the plan was he was going to come to the funeral, but he was going to stay in a hotel. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that 
really wasn't the right thing to do, but I'll let him stay in that hotel. And so he called uh, that day and said um, he was on his way. And I said, well, you can stay at my house if you want to stay. And anyway, so he was real surprised. And when I hung up the phone, I thought that had to be the spirit talking because I don't know that I would have done that. But long story <laughs> short, he did come and he came to the funeral and he stayed at our house. And um, he could see my witness through that. And um, we keep in touch. I just um, mailed him a Bible and um, just keep in touch. And I don't think I would have done that without Oikos yeah. evangelism. I mean, you, you mentioned to me once that you you might have had the thought, but you wouldn't have acted on it. True. True. Because I knew um, my mom always prayed that my brothers would be saved. And um, they weren't saved before she died. And so maybe she was tugging at my heart with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you and him are continuing to have conversations. Yes. All right. Well, I want you to be praying for her brother to be saved and for their relationship. And, uh, in, and see, part of evangelism is also God just healing relationships and helping us grow and deal with issues so we can influence people in a good way. Would you thank Lynn for sharing today? God bless you, sweetie. Gladys Bailey, 75 years old, um, was in our Oikos class. You know who she was concerned about, who got put on her heart? A nephew. And she's been communicating with him. And Easter actually sent him a, sent him a, a card and, uh, and sent him a DVD of the Jesus movie. Jeremy Lee, new to our church, joined last September working with our B45 ministry, our preteen ministry. He had the he had the idea the the idea that evangelism evangelism meant going door to door and talking to strangers. That's that's his that was his total concept of what evangelism was. And you can understand if you've been around church a long time how that might be the way you view evangelism. And he learned that it was okay to do evangelism with the people he already knew. He didn't have to go door to door and talk to strangers. He could talk to the people that he already he already he already knows and. And so he's no longer feeling guilty about not being the kind, because he's not this outgoing personality type. And so he's no longer feeling guilty about who he is. He's talking to the people that he knows. And he, and he, he mentioned that he's learned the kind of questions to ask people to engage them in conversations. Jan Futrell, who's been a, a member here for 26 years, God put on her heart not only a, a nephew, uh, but a cousin. And she, she told me that she'd always been concerned about them. But now she's more comfortable in actually engaging them in conversation. She knows how to approach them and how to begin, how to have conversations with them. And she was able to share her testimony with her niece. And her niece thanked her for sharing her story and has, began, has been asking her questions ever since. And so there's this ongoing dialogue about a relationship with Jesus with, with uh, that person. And I could go on and on, but that's the idea. What I want you to understand is that, that God can do a work in your life, not only to help you become a, a better witness, but to help you become a better you, a better Christian, to grow you spiritually, to help you deal with issues. Because here's the thing. When you do evangelism, you're on the front line of spiritual warfare. You really are. You, you'll never be more front line in this spiritual battle than when you do evangelism. And that forces you to look at the kind of soldier you are. And it helps you to grow. It helps you to deal with stuff. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because none of us want to stay where we are. We all want to grow. That's part of being a disciple, a follower, a learner, a student of Jesus Christ. And so I hope 
that you'll participate in this. And, and you're not going to be put on the spot. It's, it's not the, what we're going to do in Sunday school won't be threatening to you, but it's going to be encouraging. You're going to learn. You'll be challenged a little bit and then come to the workshop uh, the first Sunday night in October. Now, as I wrap this up, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees this crowd, feels compassion because of their needs, says to his disciples, there's a big harvest, not enough workers. Pray that God will send more workers out into the harvest. Do you know what the next thing Jesus did? Do you know what it was in, in chapter 10? After telling the disciples to pray for more workers to go into the harvest, you know what Jesus did? He got the 12 together and said, now you go out there and do what I've been doing. He sent them out on an extended evangelistic mission. Because sooner or later, we simply have to, to go. Sooner or later, we've, we, we need to start talking to people. Sooner or later, we need to take the initiative to learn how to grow, to learn how to do what God has called us to do, to do more than pray. And I'm, I'm going to ask Brother David to come on up because um, we can think something. It's like Lynn said, you know, she, the, the Spirit just kept prompting, kept prompting. And there are times we listen to Him and times we don't. And both of them are important. But David and I were talking this week, and he was sharing a story with me that recently took place in his life. David, go ahead and share that with everybody. Yeah. I was, uh, me and Steve had been working on the old course, working for the students and the adults. So we were having these conversations. And I shared with him about something that's been haunting me, and then I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of, and naturally he wanted me to share it with you guys. Um, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> um, we had, um, we had gone to Jamaica on a mission trip, and uh, I was leading this trip, and we had several adults and, and, and a, a good group of students on this trip. And we had gone, and we had worked all week. We had done school for the children, sharing the gospel with them. We had been working very hard out in the, in the community and, and trying to further this pastor's church's name in the community. Uh, and so we'd been working pretty hard with that, and then we ended up the last day we kind of went off back down to the coast to kind of, you know, get a breath, take a big breath from the work that we'd been doing. And so we're all there sitting around a pool. And, you know, we had been on mission all week, so we're kind of resting. And that night, you know, it's just us, just all of us at the pool hanging out. And then this guy comes walking in, and it's pretty clear the fact that, you know, he went up on the upper stoop to smoke a joint, um, that he was not a Christian. Um, just kind of walking around, and it, I automatically saw him, and, and something kind of dinged in my head, you know. Uh, this guy's here. Number one, I'm watching out for the, you know, all the girls, high school girls with me. Boom. I see every guy that comes near. Um, but here comes this young guy. He's probably 19 or 20, and he comes, and he sits down right beside me at the pool. Looks over and says, hey, what are y'all doing? Um <laughs> And, and the Holy Spirit couldn't have been any more clear that of what I should do, right? I'm on a mission trip. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jim, I am the, the preacher dude that's leading this trip. So he sits there, all the people there with me, and, and I just kind of took a deep breath and let it go. And, and I never shared. I didn't say anything about why we're here, um, what we were doing, about the Jesus we're trying to tell people about. And... I walked back to my room that night, and I can tell you, I just, I felt empty. It was a horrible feeling, and I thought, I'm going to find him the next day. And the next day, the first time I saw him, he was with his bag going out the front door leaving. Um, and so I, I missed that opportunity. And it was, it's like I said, it's, it's weighing on me. Yeah. 
So. Yeah. Thank you, Brother David. Yep, Thank you for sharing. You know, and the truth is, I have those stories. How many of you in here have a story similar to that? You just felt God, we all can be guilty of that, right? What we want to, you know, and the, the good news is that God loves us and, and, and He forgives us. But what we want to do with this is help you become more in tune to what God is saying to you. And become more comfortable in having conversations with the people you know, the people that God puts in your life. You, you, you don't have to go all the way around the world for it to happen. Now, God, David was in Jamaica. God can bring people to you wherever you are. But we already know a lot of people. A lot of people in this community, a lot of people that we're friends with and relatives with, relatives who live in other parts of the country, we want to help you know how to be a witness to them. And it's not just about sitting down saying, here's these five Bible verses. That's part of it. But it's also how to be in right relationship with them and be the right Christian. How to, what to do, what are the practical things you do to, to show your love and God's love for them, to cultivate the relationship with them. And then how do you tell, talking about the church experiences and talking about your own story, your own salvation, your testimony, and the gospel. We want to help you with that. And I promise you, if you will give your everything to this, you will not only learn how to be a better witness, you will grow as a follower of Jesus Christ.